Welcome to Animal Talk in Barbados with host Gail Hunt. This is the show that brings to you the issues that are affecting animals in Barbados, the wider Caribbean and beyond. So join us today for another lively discussion on how together we can help the animals that we all love so much. Good afternoon, everyone, wherever you're listening in the world. My name's Gail, and I am the host of this new podcast called Animal Talk. I'm really delighted to be here, and I really thank all of the people at the at the radio station on um, All About Animals, because it's something that I really would love to, to kind of like, you know, enjoy and get and be part of. So thank you so much, Gary, for that. So a little bit about me. I've been involved in animal welfare advocacy for quite a few years now in Barbados, and I'm a trustee with the charity Action for Animals Barbados. We partner with animal welfare stakeholders and government departments, and we do lots of outreaches in schools and we work with different stakeholders. Our primary purpose really is around the aim of advocacy, and we also look at working with um, the government on things like legislation and the enforcement of that legislation as it pertains to animals. So I'm also part of the Barbados Green Monkey Project. We have green monkeys in Barbados. They're called vervets, and they came all the way from South Africa. So the project is really important working with farmers, we plant fruit trees for them, and we help the farmers learn how to cohabit. So I'm now delighted to be part of the All About Animals radio podcast team, and uh, having me with me today is our co-host, the lovely Nicole Rojas. So Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today for my first. (laughs) Oh, of course, Gail, it's my pleasure. I'm very honored to be here at this round table with other animal advocates speaking about animal welfare and issues regarding enforcement of animal protection laws in Barbados. Um, I just want to give a quick background about myself and my organization called Wild for Change. After being a physical therapist for many years, my heart called me to focus on helping animals, and I began advocating with the Humane Society of the United States to ban the sale and trade of elephant ivory and rhino horn in Illinois. Once we were able to get this ban in place, I decided to create Wild for Change. And Wild for Change is committed to raising awareness of nature's vital role in all of our lives and finding ways we can make this world a better place for all beings. I help raise awareness through social media, advocating for legislation, and my Wild for Change podcast. Uh, This subject of animal welfare is near and dear to my heart because I experienced seeing homeless animals firsthand while on holiday with my husband in Aruba. We would run every morning along the beach and we would see these homeless dogs, but there was one in particular that really caught my eye and grabbed my heart. And it was this little dachshund who I could tell she had experienced multiple litters of puppies. And from what we could tell, she lived under a bush and people were trying to bring her scraps and Each morning, I would try to gently approach her, and she was not trusting of humans. So luckily, I found an anti-cruelty society in Aruba, and with their help, we were able to rescue this little girl, and we found her a forever home. And it just, it made my trip because I knew that in her lifetime, she was going to experience love and care. And so speaking about such issues today is... um, like I said, really near and dear to my heart. 
Yeah, so thank you, really Gail. Yeah, you're more than welcome. And thank you. And that's a really beautiful story as well. And you really touched at the heart of why we're all here today. It really is to kind of look and address, you know, the neglect that we're seeing within the Caribbean region and particularly Barbados. All of our guests are involved in frontline work, helping animals. I mean, we work predominantly with dogs, but we've also got livestock, horses as well that we also try to to help. Um, and we work with, like I said, the different stakeholders. So without any further ado, I'm going to ask each of my guests, beginning with Karen Millen from Canine Friends Barbados, to introduce herself. And then we will go around with the panel and get into the meat of the discussion. Over to you, Karen. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Gail. Hi, everybody. Um, as Gail's just said, my name is Karen Millen, and I'm one of the founding trustees of Canine Friends Barbados. We set up the charity in 2014 um, because there was a need for low-cost neutering and spaying on the island, and also other areas um, where we've rescued dogs, uh, puppies. I've often crawled in bushes and dug out puppies and bottle fed them there was many a years when I was never out without a box of puppies with me which <laughs> I thought all my baby rearing days were over but no 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 <laughs> Barbados had other ideas for me um, so obviously that's very very time consuming you're up in the night there's lots of bottles to wash and sterilize and with six little mouths to feed it just goes on and on but still um, it's worthwhile when you see them homed and happy but um, for us, it's it's quite difficult. Um, persuade firstly, we have to persuade people to get their dogs spayed and neutered. It's not a big thing on the island, although I think the attitudes are slowly changing. Our biggest problem is with males, human males here that don't like to have their male dogs neutered. Um, so again, that's a, an education issue. So the whole thing is is wrapped up really in education and trying to change the culture, which is a, a major undertaking. But slowly, I think all of us are, are chipping away in some areas. And when you have, even if it's just one success, you feel like it's all, it's all been worthwhile. Um, but ultimately, the only two ways to change things here are education and spaying and neutering and as Gail knows we we had a project going and we put it to the relevant authorities here didn't we Gail and hoped that that would um, resolve result in us being able to go into schools which they were very interested in and then Covid struck and and since then we can't really get anyone that's that interested anymore so um that's quite disappointing because it's what's needed is to get to these children when they're from three and, and have this program going throughout all of their school life to, to eventually hopefully change their attitude. So it will take a generation to do it, but I'm still hopeful that it could be done. Thank you so much, Karen. You're absolutely right. It really does begin with educating the children. You know, they're going to be our future generations. And we need to, you know, have them to understand that animals are sentient beings and also that they have to respect all of life. You know, it begins with humans and animals as well. So thank you for that introduction. And now to the lovely Laverne Beresford. Uh, she's a really, she's a really passionate, I'll call Laverne a very passionate activist. <laughs> But Laverne, I'd like you to tell our listeners more about your, your passion for animals. 
Well, thank you, Gail, for having me on your uh, radio show. I'm very honoured to be coming on to this show as a very young activist, but as you said, very passionate. Um, I am an Ocean Acres volunteer, and I'm also part of a group, a very new group that's called Bajans Helping Animals. And the group was formed just about a month ago because we realised that there was a need to, to help families, especially vulnerable families, with food and vet care, and education, and uh, transportation, um, because they're, they're, that, that's sadly lacking on this island. And there are very many families right now, not only because of COVID, but because of general economic challenges that just cannot simply afford to feed their dogs. And that's a big problem over here. So Bajans Helping Animals have stepped up. We have a Facebook page. And what we're doing is we're trying to help those families so that animals can now stay out of the already overcrowded shelters. All of the shelters on the island are full. They're often continuously operating above maximum capacity and then over that as well. Um, I also rescue animals myself. If I see one on the road, um, I actually have a pet transportation company that I use and they will pick up the dog for me. I'll try to take it to the vet if it needs vet care and then I will try to rehome it as best as I can. Um, and I honestly believe that the shelters over here are doing their best and other animal welfare associations like Canine Friends, uh, they are struggling though. They, they're always constantly struggling because of the overwhelming situation that we have. So I'm very pleased to see that we have outlets where we can explain to people what's going on and try to find a speedy resolution to the issues that we're facing, because I do believe that our island is in crisis with the current state of the animal welfare. Yeah, thank you very much, Laverne. And what you said about your new organisation that you formed, Bajan Helping Animals, I think that's really critical because sometimes, for me, there's a there's a difference between animal abuse and animal neglect. And sometimes animal neglect is a result of person's economical status. You know, their circumstances may change and they don't know where to turn for help. And this is, you know, this is why we need organisations like yours. So I do commend you, you know, and the people involved with that. So I hope it goes really well. Thank you. And last but not least, we have Karen Whitaker, the Director of Ocean Acres Animal Sanctuary in Barbados. Karen, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and Ocean Acres. Okay, well, Ocean Acres started in 2020. We took over an existing sanctuary that had just six, 45 dogs and 65 cats. We now have 200 dogs and 250 cats. Um, we've rehomed a lot. Our fundamental three purposes, really, is to rescue and rehabilitate the dogs that we find or that, are, that come to us one way or another, to educate, as everybody has spoken about, which is very important. So we have a youth group and we have various means of doing that. And to spay and neuter as well, because as Karen said, that you know, that's, that's, those two things are the only lasting solution to the crisis that Laverne referred to that we find ourselves in. Um, in the meantime, while we're trying to solve that, we have still got the walking wounded and the skeletons, you know, popping up on the streets all the time. And there's a lot of them. There's an awful lot of them. And from my point of view, 
I can only speak to, you know, the calls and things that, that I get and what we come across. I get more calls all the time. It doesn't get better. It, it seems to get worse. There's more people that can't look after their dogs. There's more people finding dogs. Same for cats as well. Um, so, yeah, it is a challenge because we, like all the other shelters, are completely full, more full than we ever thought we could possibly be. I mean, we keep thinking we can't cope with one more dog and then we find a way. Um, so the ongoing education is is really important and the community outreach as well. We do an awful lot of that, which people perhaps don't realize how broad a church this community outreach is because my phone will ring many times a day with people that are in a situation where perhaps their dog is sick and they've got they've got no money. So the dog's been sick for a couple of days and they don't know what to do. They can't get it to the vet. They've got no transport. There's no neighbors that will take it. So that involves one of us or one of our volunteers getting in their car, going and picking the dog up and taking it to the vet. Often the only thing we can do when we get there is to have the dog put to sleep. Um, sometimes it can be fixed. If it can be fixed, if it needs surgery or what have you, um, be, because we care and be, because we, you know, what, what other choice do we have? So we do it and, and we have to pay for this. So all of that, you know, incurs an awful lot of costs. And, and there's a lot of that going on. There's, there's many calls. Um, yeah, it is, that, that part of it is difficult. And the other, the other part that's difficult is so many calls from people who want us to take their dogs because they're moving house or um, their neighbours don't want them to have dogs and they, they can't take them. So some of them are ever so upset. Some of them are heartbroken, you know, listening to the people who don't want to part with their pets. Some of them aren't so bothered. Some people just just want to, to get shut of them. So the hard thing is we haven't got any solutions. They say to me when I say that, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry, we're full. I wish it was different. They say, well, what, what can I do? There's no answers. There's no, the, the, the only awful answer is that, you know, you have to have the dog put to sleep. I can't, I can't tell people that because most of the time they'd be devastated. But the, the challenge is, Many times, depending on who we're talking to, people will just say, well, I'll take matters into my own hands then. And that doesn't mean anything good. That doesn't mean they're going to find a home for it or, or take it to the vet or do the right thing or whatever. That, that means something bad. And that happens a lot of the time. And that is the hardest thing for us because we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. Because if we take it, we're over full and it compromises what we're doing. We can't afford any more anyway. And um, it puts the other dogs in a difficult position because we end up overclouded. But if we don't, then we know that something bad's going to happen to that one. So it's a kind of uncomfortable catch-22, really, that we just have to live with. We have to live with, we have to make choices, we have to do what we can each day. Um, that, I think, is the unfortunate situation that we all find ourselves in. Whilst we're trying to spay and neuter and make a difference, and whilst we're trying to educate, we have got this ongoing issue of what we do with the dogs that are actually here now. Yeah. So, Nicole, that gives you a bit of a synopsis on, you know, the main kind of challenges. If you add to that, we've also got problems with our kind of our livestock, with um, what we would call landless farmers. So these are 
farmers that will have like a patch of land that they're borrowing from someone and it's a means of income for them so they will have livestock maybe a cow maybe some blackberry sheep but in terms of their animal husbandry and how they care for these animals they lack the education and the animals often suffer they're often emaciated they're often dehydrated they often have no shade so our government vet departments do work as much as they can to kind of like educate but more needs to be done there as well they're often kind of like ignored you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Um, the emphasis often on dogs and cats which is very important but um, we also have you know issues with our livestock animals as well so Nicole it's really up to you how you want to um, address your first question to our panel you are our co-host so um, you know we've touched on quite a few things I'll let you I'll let you kind of like lead us in the discussion well just because I've you know worked with legislation in the past um, trying to make changes here in the state that I live in, um, in the United States, I wanted to start off with asking what types of legislation are currently in place for animal welfare in Barbados and are they effective? And that's open to anybody. <laughs> you're, you're the legislation expert. Well, basically, I, can, I think I'm fairly confident to say that they're not effective. I have seen all of the acts. Dale can probably quote them better than me. Um, there's, there are significant laws. Of course, they could be better. But things can always be better. But what we have, if what we had even was enforced, goodness me, that'd be amazing. But it's not. It never is. I've never known it being. Yeah, so uh, at the moment we have a, a Barbados Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, Nicole, and um, that act is basically um, put in place for animals to be protected as it, as it states, but it doesn't do that. And the reason why is that we have various different agencies that are authorised persons who are meant to enact the act, so to speak, but they're not doing it. There's no standard procedures in place. Uh, when persons call, nobody really knows what they're doing sometimes there's no critical thinking in terms of how to assess a situation an example could be that you may go out to a property and um, see dogs suffering but then the conditions that the person is living in is also a health issue there could also be environmental health issues so in terms of problem solving and strategic priorities in terms of you know what is the best way to handle the situation that's a major issue as well Uh, but we do have a a legislation for domestic animals we've got something for the tortoises as well and we've also got something for livestock and the legislation is currently they're looking at amending certain parts of it at the moment which is all very well and good but unless it's in force which is you know the main crux of our discussion today unless it's in force it's just it's just words on paper to be quite frank Mm -hmm. not to add anything yeah yeah yeah. I, i think that the the legislation that we have is very specific it was well written and it's very specific, but the problem is that the penalties that they've attached to the legislation, they're not strict enough. So even when they're enforced, you pay the fine most of the time. The the accuser can easily pay the fine and then the next day they can go get another animal and then the abuse just continues. So while there is legislation, there is no real form of banning or preventing someone who has abused an animal or neglected it from doing it all over again. The fines are just so affordable and the punishments and the penalties are just so 
uh, insignificant, that it doesn't scare the offenders into never committing these acts again. But that is one of the main problems that I think we have. Even, even though they are, I agree with you entirely. I don't think anybody's ever been fined anyway, even if it was a dollar. Has anybody ever been fined? I, I, I would agree with that. I, to my knowledge, in the 15 years that I've been here working with animals, I've never even known really a successful prosecution. The first prosecution I was aware of was the monkeys last year that were burned alive in a cage. And that was only because there was such a, a national outcry over it and it was all over social media. Mm-hmm. And so action was taken, but it, they left, leave it long enough so that people start forgetting and it's not in the forefront anymore. And uh, one of them, I don't even know what happened to, but the other one got a six month suspended jail sentence, which if you'd seen that video, it's absolutely horrific. And to think that human beings could do that to a creature that is so like a human and you just wonder if these guys go on and have children, what on earth those children are in for? Because I've never seen anything like that at all. And the same with the dog the other day that was drowned in at, the, at Pebbles Beach. Um, and obviously Laverne was there and witnessed that, which must have been horrific for her more than seeing it on a video. But again, the police, I'm sure, only have arrested this guy because there were so many tourists making complaints and it was plastered all over social media again. Other mm-hmm. than that, I think they would have been quite happy to have sat back and said, oh, it doesn't matter, it's only a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and although he was meant to be going to court yesterday, I've not read anything on that apart from he pleaded not guilty, but I wonder how long he's going to be on bail for. Um, and then people forget and, you know, something else is, is in the forefront of the news and it just, it's quietly dealt with. And again, he gets a little rap on the knuckles and told don't do it again. So um, I, I agree because I think that unless I... I can't see the point in changing or spending all this time or any time that they might spend on something when the fundamental ethos, thinking and belief is not behind it. I no, think that's sorted out first, because if, if what we've got can't function, what does it matter what else they make up? It still won't function. Right. Exactly. Is, is, if it's not getting enforced, what's the point? And like you said, it's, exactly. the, it's the belief. Mm. It's the belief system. The underlying belief, the underlying yeah. is more than the belief. It's a sense of, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feeling, it's an understanding, it's a, a type of empathy, isn't it? If that's not present in a society, then how can anybody even get it? You know? Exactly so, that. Right. Em- sorry, empathy is, is the thing. And I think I find across this whole society that is one thing that's missing. It just it seems to be missing culturally I from know. parents to their children to, to children to one another. Um it's- I just find it's really absent and it's so noticeable. It really is. And one of the things that I scratch my head with day in and day out, you know, and I've I've even Googled the question, is how to teach empathy. And one thing that I think for sure that we have to all work on together, which I know we're doing, is you can't necessarily, well, for the start, you can't actually teach empathy. People have to feel it. It's something that they have to feel. So we could go into every school in the world if you like but unless they feel it and make a personal connection they're not going to get it are they a little light has to go on somewhere that you your heart opens or you get something from it or you see something and feel something and get something back and form a relationship and I I, perhaps I'm generalizing here but a lot of the people that I come across in the work that I'm doing a lot of the children 
they don't have that connection. It's like it's, I mean, there's not even the spectrum for the table, furthermore, the living animal. So I think somehow it has to be experiential. They have to be in a position where they feel something. That's the key, the thing that we have to unlock somehow to, to, to get this opening and feeling. Because until you feel it, you can talk, you could, you could write a, a thesis on, on honey or something, but if you didn't taste it, you wouldn't really know what honey was, would you? So I just right. think somehow we've got to get these people to open up, to feel something, to feel, it is to feel, because there can't be, in order, in order for them to step over these dogs that I see day in, day out, tied up outside their doors that are half dead and sometimes dead, to step over those and just think that, you know, the, the desensitization and normalization of that, got to do something about that. That's not normal. And you can't say that that's all they see because everybody, most people anyway, have a phone, has the internet, watches American TV, and they all have dogs in their houses and the films that they're watching and sitting on the sofa. And so they're seeing a different way, but they're not feeling it and associating it with their living ways and things. And somehow those, we've got to infiltrate that somehow. That's, I think, for me, that feels like it's the, the key to it. Yeah, and I wanted to add as well for Nicole's benefit because, you know, she's not living in Barbados, so she's hearing this from us for the first time. It is it is very um, distressing as well for the people involved in animal welfare. It's, it takes an emotional toll on you, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what makes it difficult is when you're trying to work with the government agencies and the police and the, the authorised persons, and they're also not getting it, then... You you reach a point where you just feel like, what is the point? But you need to continue because of the animals. Now, that being said, I do want to say, and I think our panel will agree, that there are subsections of our society that actually do love their animals. Yes, absolutely. We've got a a rise in dog training. Some of our vets are super busy, you know. Um, And animal cruelty is not just about economic deprivation. It's not just about class, because you can get somebody that's very wealthy but Mm -hmm. keeps this lovely, beautiful Rottweiler in a in an air-conditioned you know um pen but they're in there 24 hours a day which to me is still neglect because dogs are social animals so it's not we can't just focus on the economics we have to look at it a bit broader as well Nicole I agree right Right. I, I I totally I totally agree it all starts with the feeling of understanding that that notion that we we are all sentient beings and and trying to um formulate that and and express that to others is is really it can be very difficult and challenging especially if there's burnout because you're seeing these animals continue to suffer and you're doing your best and i know that karen millen had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you were trying to go and help educate and go into the schools and, and teach the children and start young so that they have this understanding. And there's been like this drop off where it's like, it's just not happening where it's like hard yeah. to get back into the schools and, and motivate yeah. and inspire. Yeah. And again, I think it, it, we've met some really nice people that, that were really enthusiastic about things. But again, I just think it's, it's not in the culture here, the empathy just isn't there and I just think because they've got a different way of perhaps with raising their children than maybe that we're used to I mean uh, you know there is an issue here where lots of young girls women are having 
babies with different men and it, and they're on their own. So straight away, they're, they're struggling. They've got a large family. The men are just no good. You know, they're lazing around all day drinking rum. They don't provide any income for the children. So you've got a stressed mother. And again, quite often here, it's, it's cultural that maybe a lot of the mothers don't look after their children they're given to granny or or some of the fathers will will take them on but they're not necessarily the best role model for that child so it, it, it the problems go so deep into society and so way away from animals and what we all know about but the only way that things are going to be solved is to to understand and, and look what can be done about those underlying problems because i think although i think in a way empathy may not be taught, but when you're shown it, when you experience it as a young mm-hmm. child and you, and you see your mother visibly moved by something on the TV, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I can remember as a, a young girl, my mother crying, looking at the, when all the children was, were starving in Ethiopia. And I think that's my earliest memory of actually feeling, oh, you know, that's terrible, those children. I don't know them, but and this is not happening to me, but... I, I felt something there. And I just think that's how we all love. We learn empathy from what's going on around us. And it, it's, it yes. really doesn't happen in Barbados, unfortunately. And I don't know. I'm not an expert in family dynamics or anything like that to even begin to suggest how you can change that. Well, I think we're all a bit stuck on that, aren't we? We can only try mm. and away at it. But I do think it's, I, I think, it is a generalization. I'm sure there'll be lots of people that say that's not so. You know, I mean, it's, it is a generalization. But it, but it. Well, I didn't mean everybody. No, no, it, I know. I, I, I realize that. I, I know that. Um, but it is. We do come across it a lot. We do yes. come across it a lot. Is what I'm saying. Um, so it's 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 hard to know what to say when people accept these things as normal. As, as okay that's that's it, it's not okay you know but when the, the dog or the cat or something is perceived as something that it can just be poisoned then right I think perhaps it's thought of in and, and I'm not even very good at pest control but in the same way that people would put you know bait down for ants or something like that I think it's perceived in that kind of way I don't think it goes any further than that I mean, I suppose I'm guilty because I do swap mosquitoes. So it's, it's, the, it's, the, same thing as, it's the same thing as that, though. So we've all got it in us yeah. to some level, haven't we? Yeah, and I would add as well that um, it's Kevin uh, Millen has touched on it with, with the family dynamics, and this is why when we when we're dealing with enforcement and animal welfare, I think Nicole, you know, within our culture, because of the different cultural dynamics and the different issues that we're that we're having to to face, and they're passed down from generation to generation. We have to approach it in a very. We can't just approach animal welfare in a vacuum, isolated. We can't. It's a kind of no. You would understand that from your work that you've done in various different countries it's, it's you have to approach it from a very holistic you know what I mean looking at the family structure and, and the education and you need different bodies and agencies to be involved they need to all the different agencies need to work with the animal welfare organizations as well do you know what I mean yeah so it's it, like you cannot separate it it's all one it's all one situation that's going on because it's starting with the with the family Absolutely. We're just the icing on top of the cake. You know, a right. whole lot of stuff has happened before it gets to us. We're right. just cleaning up the mess. 
it's an, it's all the underlying issues that need fixing because if they're not fixed, we'll just be sweeping up forever. Exactly. Yeah. So where do we where do we go from here when you have this cultural situation that you know the animals are the it's just a means to an end or you know like the livestock or the dogs are just there and maybe they're being used for you know dog fighting or whatever what what have you that's just they're not seen as another being in in my view we we can all keep doing what we're doing but there is only so much we can do and there's only so much clout that we have and there's only so much that we're listened to right i, I beg and i believe that whatever you think of the government, that this is something that needs to be government-led because the government needs to lead its people into better ways, better thinking. Um, people are um, biddable to some extent. People listen. You know, propaganda can be used in good ways as well as bad. Right. And I, I think, you know, brainwashing, if it's in a good way, in a, <laughs> to, a, to a good end, I mean. Um, I, I mean, I can remember when I was growing up on the TV, I can still remember the advertising campaigns for not to litter and things like that so it obviously works because i can remember the little tunes and the little cartoons and what have you so i absolutely think that that needs to be tackled i think first of all the government needs to own up and admit that it's got an issue here that people are delinquent in society and aren't necessarily behaving you know in a humane way to themselves to each other to the children to to the animals and then it needs to set about that kind of thing through its all of its platforms, the TV, posters everywhere, on the back of buses, whatever. Because why wouldn't you want a better society? Why wouldn't they want that? How could they lose? Right. It's like it has to be weaved back into society somehow. And I, the basics I, I, of I, just being loved. Yeah. I'm a bit of a loss as to not understand why they don't get that because that's not going to cost them any money is it really they've got a marketing department just just work on that a bit and surely that would help with all the other things the the violence the youth crime and and all of that it's all part of the same thing so that that is what i think is the a, a big missing thing because even if you have all the laws that you could have in a an entire book this big if nobody's got the heart and soul behind it it was nothing will change and that's the bottom line yeah. It all starts with the empathy and, and the heart of knowing that, you know, it's all, we're all being affected by these yeah, absolutely. tendencies. I'd like Laverne to actually, um, to to kind of like share her views as well on this kind of, the, the when we look at the cultural mindset and the family structure, you know, the psychosocial issues around, you know, play into animal abuse and animal neglect. Um, Laverne, what's, what's been your experience my my experience is that I find that a lot of pet owners are just very irresponsible. They do not want to spay or neuter the dogs. That is the first problem. They're just allowing their animals to breed unconscionably. And that is where one of the major problems are coming. There are just too many kittens, too many puppies. And then once they've dumped the animals all over the island, because they either cannot afford them or they're just too many puppies or or kittens, then the dumped ones are the ones who are reproducing and then the problem just continues. So if we don't stop that and don't force them to spay and neuter, I think that is where one of the major issues 
is coming from. It's like a, a continuous cycle. Yeah, yeah. You're just Absolutely. you're just rescuing and rescuing, and and if yeah. you, if you don't stop them from having these puppies and and kittens and dogs all over, then th- there's nothing else that we can do. That's where one of the heart of the problems is coming. These pay and um, mandates that just aren't there. So why do people, um, if they're not really crazy about animals, why are they taking them in as pets? I don't oh, think they're I don't, them as pets, do they? I, I, don't, I don't think they think of them as pets either. A lot of the time, it's almost like a status symbol. My neighbor's got one. So I want one. I mean, and I'm uh-huh. sure probably Karen's had this as well. We, I mean, a year or so ago, I rescued a, a, a pure Rottweiler who was in a dreadful state and took it back to the, the kennels that we work with. And it was on social media. The lady that first alerted us to it posted it. And you would not believe the number of calls that we got from people saying that they wanted the mm. dog. There was mm-hmm. Facebook messages, there was emails, there was calls. And most of them for people from people that straight away I just said no. They were people, one guy even said, yeah, I want she, I want she. And I said, well, why do you want her? Oh, I like those sort of dogs. And I said, well, she's not ready yet anyway for re- rehoming. She needs to get put some weight on and she needs to be spayed. And he said, oh, no, no, don't bother about that. I don't want a spade. I want to breed her. Now, oh. clearly... You know, because she there's some sort of real, I don't know, some real sort of status here that if you've got a pedigree dog, I don't know whether they think it means that people see them as wealthy or or I don't know what it is. But but that's the, the issue. People don't want the scruffy little mongrels that, in my opinion, make the best pets because they're healthier. You're not rushing to the vet every five minutes yeah. and they're just lovely. I'm not saying that pedigrees are not lovely, but no. I don't understand here the. People don't want those. They just see those as rubbish, throw it away, get another one. Like, you know, we get fed up with a pair of shoes. So we we just throw them out and we get another one. Well, they do that with dogs. Mm. They ring up, uh, you know, oh, I don't want my dog. It's too fluffy. It's not fluffy enough. It's too big. It's too small. It's got ticks. It, it, it doesn't play. It, all sorts of reasons where it's, it's not been trained or socialised. They don't want it. But if you get a pedigree dog in, a, a, a sanctuary and I'm telling you the queues around the block they all want it yes, whether they it's a symbol it's a status, Wait, symbol. Correct. It's a status symbol there's no yeah. because when you think about it if you have an emotional attachment to an animal you're not going to just kind of like think well I'm, I'm discarding that now like a pair no. of old shoes as Karen said you're not going to you know you're going to fight tooth and nail and you know until it can live to a ripe old age you know what I mean and there are certain circumstances of course when you do have to you know um give up your animal you know that those things happen you may get ill you may have to move you just can't take your animal with you that's different but the the kind of like just disregarding it for the newest version kind of thing and just seeing it as a financial commodity again it goes back to that no value you know not kind of like having the empathy and love and relationship that you also touched on nicole the relationship it's about having a relationship with our animals isn't it yeah I don't think that is a relationship. You know, one of the issues that I see here that I've seen, I've been here for 20 years now, and I noticed this before I was even involved with Ocean Acres or anything like that. There seems to be, and I, I don't understand it to this day, but there seems to be a thing. And again, I, I apologize to anybody that's listening to this that thinks this is a generalization, but I can only talk about what I see. So there does seem to be a prevalent thing where people seem to want to 
possess something to have it for it to be theirs and they put it in a cage or something or box or whatever it might be they might even feed it and give it water but they never touch it they never talk to it they never pet it they never put it but they don't want to get rid of it either Mm. Can, can you is understand it, that, Nicole? <laughs> yes, I can. I can. Is it a bit like we might want I've to seen that here. Maybe not as... small or something? Is it that? Are they thinking that? That it's like, oh, I've, I've got a painting over there. It's nice. That's good. I'll get another painting on that wall. Is it that kind of thing? Is it like a collecting thing? I don't know. <laughs> I think that a lot of the times, too, people get these animals as security because dogs mm -hmm. will bark and they think that, you know, the dog will alert them if somebody's coming to their home um, and that's just all that the dog is security. It's just there to bark and make some noise, but it's not there to to be loved, to be petted, to be to be a pet. It's not seen as that. It's seen sometimes as just a noisemaker, yeah. an alerter. Yeah, and I would add. They don't often that. do that, do no. they? Half they dead. don't do that because this half dead. They're they're just so depressed and demoralized. They're just right. locked in this. If they're locked in a box, but within that box, they're on a chain that's tied to something else. They hardly ever come out. Quite often it's full of feces and it stinks of urine. They've got yeah. hardly any food, lack of water. So the poor dog is not in any position whatsoever to go and attack or, or warn of an intruder. And even if it yeah. could bark, it can't do anything because it's on a chain. Right. Yeah, it's absolutely no use at all as a security measure. I don't know why people have them for that reason. I really don't. No, and They're I would just, add uh, what Karen is saying, what, what, what the whole panel is saying as well, is, is, you know, kind of like there's no accountability, Nicole. So because our laws are not enforced, because if our laws were enforced to a certain degree, persons will actually start to think, oh, hang on a minute, I, I've got a responsibility for this animal. This animal means something. The government actually, the immediate time the government think that this animal's worth something. That's the whole point of enforcing, isn't it? You're, you're more or less saying if you harm this animal based on the prevention of cruelty to animals, like you're committing an offence, you know, because this animal matters. You know, it's a value to us, the Barbados government, which is why we are enforcing the law on you. But because it's not enforced, this is why people can say casually they're going to poison a cat. You know, and right. you can go on Facebook, them saying that because there's no accountability. And, you know, unfortunately, it's sad to say that this is not hypothetical discussion. You know, the uh -huh. ladies that this is real life. With, this, this is what they're seeing. This is what they're seeing right. every this day. Is... It's not hypothetical. Not all of society, but it's happening in a in, no. you know, bulk of the society. It's, it's a major problem. So we need to bring it out into the open so that we can address it, Nicole, you know. And right. I think, as you say, Gail, even when you say like that the government, if these laws were enforced, it would mean that the governments believed that the animals had worth, you know, and that they valued the animal. But even if it didn't mean so much as that, even if it meant that the government doesn't appreciate your behavior, regardless of the animal, because it's antisocial behavior, it's cruel behavior. So it doesn't even have to be emotional, does it? Because the government doesn't have to be emotional. It's not necessary. They could just say that this type of behavior, the same as if you went and vandalized a car or smashed somebody's windows, this is what we don't accept in our society. We don't accept this level of whatever it is that, that you're doing. And we've decided that these are our laws and we're not having this in our society because, you know, people mm. throw acid over drugs and things. If people went and threw acid all over your car, there'd be hell to pay. Absolutely. 
But it's just, it's the basics of a good human society. Exactly. That's the point that they're missing. I don't know if they're missing it or they just don't care, but the government seems to think that we are just harping on about animals. We're not harping on about animals. We're harping on about a fundamental, um, as I say, delinquent it's society. It's a very deep issue that's yeah. going on, deeply it's rooted issue. It's the behavior. If they right. weren't doing this to animals, if they were smashing up people's houses or whatever they were doing, it still wouldn't be okay. Right. It's not good behavior. Right. So there's Why this lack right from the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you're trying to navigate. Yeah. On a daily all basis. The time, all yeah. the time. And they're, and they're making a difference, you know. Um, they're making a difference, but they should, to me, the animal organization should supplement the work of the government. They shouldn't actually be doing the work of the government in terms of, you know, trying right to on. educate. You know, they should be having these educational programs in the schools because they recognize the importance of it. Because, you know, there's so much research and data to show that compassion for animals leads to compassion in general. Do you know what I mean? Caring for an animal teaches children about responsibility, accountability, things like that. Important qualities in, in as, you know, becoming an adult. So, yeah. And the flip side... It. And the flip side to that, Gail, is that uh, many studies that have been done both in UK, US and I think Canada too show that children that abuse animals are likely to go on and be adult abusers. So yeah, abusing children, just... spousal abuse. And, and I think without doubt, I think all serial killers have been known to be torturers of animals when they were children. So clearly there's a real issue there on that. And the government, which I don't believe are unaware, I think our prime minister is very well educated, even if some of the other ministers are a bit questionable. I do think that that she's well educated and she's obviously aware of what goes on in the rest of the world and and what these what about (laughs) these reports that they're linked. Animal animal behaviour. Yeah. I'm sorry, Karen. Proceed. That's okay. I was just going to say she must be aware that, that yeah, the way people treat must. animals, it reflects on them as an adult and how they treat others around them and not just animals. So if they don't care anything about the animals, they should at least be concerned because at the moment there's the rising violence in Barbados. It, it, that's getting worse and worse. Um, I don't know all these people that are, are doing this, but... I, I wouldn't mind betting that if they've got animals, they're pretty cruel to those as well. It goes hand in hand. Yeah, Violence doesn't discriminate. If you're a violent person, whatever gets in your way or causes you any sort of irritation, you will be violent against. And yeah. poor yeah. old animals and young children cannot stick, stick up for themselves and they're at our mercy. And people haven't learned how to deal with their anger, so they just That's take right. it out on the, exactly. the weakest link. That's And I, you know, I was, as I was researching for our talk today, the Humane Society of the United States did a survey about animal abuse, and it showed that 71% of domestic violence victims reported their abusers targeted their pets as well. So, I mean, that link is high. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's just a real concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also having a negative impact on tourism. Barbados is a very small island and we depend on tourism for our economic stability. And a, a lot of tourists now are being a, made aware of what is actually happening on this island because of the crisis that we're in. They're seeing the 
horror stories that are plastered all over social media from the animal shelters to the private individuals who are finding animals just magically showing up at the doors who've been dumped. And half of the times or more than half of the time, these animals are not in, in the best conditions. They're emaciated, they're injured. Many of them now have to have limbs amputated because they've been on the streets so long and the injuries have just manifested. So it is not a very good look for Barbados, not only as a humane society, but as a society who cares for the less vulnerable being the animal. So yeah. it is having a double effect on us as its people and with the economy. And this is going to continue to happen unless our government realizes that it starts with them. The enforcement starts with them. There's only so much that we, the citizens, can do, but we can't amend legislation by ourselves. We need their help. Yeah. And there's a misconception as well that people have. They think, well, at least I've not killed the dog. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna drive somewhere and leave it out in the field, and it'd be fine. But it's not, you know. It's quite the opposite, as, as has been shared. So that's another thing that we need to address as well: the abandonment. When people think they can abandon their dogs, they're gonna survive. Dogs don't, you know. They're not, they're not built that way. They, you know, maybe in the wild when they lived in packs, but once you've domesticated yeah. them to a certain extent, it changes their behaviour. And they're not very good at foraging. And often what happens again is people will put poison down, you know, because they become a nuisance or they might farm packs, attack people's livestock, um, cause road accidents. So it, it, it impacts animal cruelty neglect impacts people as well. There's nothing worse than if you kind of like live in an environment on their persons where you know animals are being abused and you feel right. helpless to do anything because you know that if you do you're putting your neck on the line you know to kind of like report this but then if nothing happens what did you put your neck on the line for to get to then yourself get cursed and abused and the animals right. still suffer and they don't even kill the animal out of spite right it's this vicious web it's a mess that's what it is it's a mess <laughs> I have people calling me. I have a few people in my phone now sending me messages who know for an absolute fact and they've sent me recordings of dogs screaming, etc., because they're being beaten. And I've heard enough dogs barking and carrying on to know what it sounds like, you know? Oh, of course, right. Um, but they can't do anything about it because it can't be seen. They can't tell anybody. They've tried to tell people, but they say you haven't got any evidence because they don't count that as evidence. So you've got to actually have a video of it taking place or you've got to have, you know, you've got to be able to see it. Um, all she can do is video the dog walking around its garden in this particular instance. And when it's walking around its garden, it, it looks like a dog walking around its garden, you know? Yeah. And then it goes inside and she hears him screaming at it and beating oh. it and whimpering but no but I said would you be prepared to testify you know would you be prepared to come forward and she said no she's too scared yeah so that's another key point Nicole because at the moment how the law is set up the the persons who are kind of like revealing the witnesses so to speak mm -hmm. um not that I'm not saying you need a witness protection act you know what I mean but you do need something in place that allows animal cruelty to be reported in such a way that witnesses do feel safe because we are a small island and something else right. you touched on was the conflict you talked about anger management and that's a, that's something as well the emotional intelligence how we how do we process things and how do we um, you know manage situations in life you know, again, that has to be taught from, from childhood. 
because right. a lot of people take out their frustrations on their animals. They might be in a, they might be in a relationship and have an argument, have an argument with his partner, and he knows that she loves the dog so much. So the dog becomes the punching bag so that he can get at her. That's a form of gender based violence. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in a pickle. We've got a lot of work to do. I'm not quite sure how it's done. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask, um, because you have you all have so much experience with um, animal welfare there. Do you have any idea of the way forward? What's well, the think, path look like? I think we're all doing it. As, as Laverne said and Kelly says, spay and neuter. It's, it's finite. Once we've spayed them and neutered them, they aren't making no more puppies. So we can control that to some extent. Once you can either get the dog or convince the people to have all the cats or whatever once you can control that situation and get that done that's one aspect of it isn't it that's that's done and it can't be undone so i think we've got to work as hard as we can however we can to do as much of that as we possibly can um and then again like everybody said the education we've got to hit that on all fronts but honestly if the government would help us and endorse what we do it would give us such a boost in that department Really How do you works. get people to spay and neuter their pets when many of them are not so keen on it? How do you, you know, inspire them to do that? I, everybody that calls me, I can usually talk them down eventually. The main, the main issue for them is usually cost. Um, and as Karen says, they're not so keen on having the male dogs done sometimes, but mm-hmm. you, it takes time. Every single one takes time. It's like being a social worker. You know, you spend ages on the phone talking to people that you honestly would prefer perhaps not to be talking to and listening to nonsense that you'd rather not hear than you've perhaps heard a million times before. Yeah. And just winning them over one by one and getting the puppies. You see, the big deal for me, we have to prioritize what, what we take in because it's, it's hard for us. So pregnant mothers, puppies, if we get eight puppies, our export program has been pretty vibrant um, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I mean, it's not the ultimate solution, but if we get, for instance, eight puppies, and I don't think of the Spain and Newton as ones, I think of them as, as pyramids. So like each each female can have like, I don't know, 400,000 puppies or whatever it is in a lifetime. So every single- 67,000. Or whatever it is, and a cat can have 400,000, can't it? Um, Probably, but every, yeah. Every single one that we take out, it's that whole- 67,000, you know, it's not just yeah. one. So if we get these people who want to give up their dog or that they can't afford it or, or it's in a bad situation, if we can convince them to hand over that one female and it comes with eight puppies and we can rehome those eight puppies, when we rehome them to homes overseas, we know for the fact that we ain't getting no more dogs in Barbados. Ain't no more puppies coming from them dogs in Barbados. And they go to responsible homes and we're very, very careful who we partner with. So... One by one, when we, we're stopping it. The female is spayed. She will never have any more puppies. So we have to just keep working bit by bit, spaying and neutering. If they have to be spayed and neutered and go back to their not-so-nice life, that's unfortunate. I'd, yeah. it was, I wish it wasn't so. Sometimes that has to be the case because we can't take them all. But the main reason that we take the litters of puppies, which I dread it, I hate it, and the staff hate it too. Uh, you know, most people think, oh, puppies, how nice. I think, oh, God. Because they're all sick. They all have worms. They try right. their hands to die. They've been kept dreadful. 
And it's heartbreaking because often, you know, they die and it costs us a fortune. And all. But even so, by taking that collection, that's a whole lot of eight pyramids out of the way. And that's my only short-term answer to what we've got now. The long-term answer is to educate people in all the ways that we've spoken about and to spare new to as many as we possibly can in every single possible way that we can. So everybody that calls... They don't get off the phone without talking about Spain and Newton. Post it all over social media. Encourage them. We need incentivize Spain and Newton if we can get it. We need the government. The government, if they would just say, listen, people, Spain and Newton, your pets, it would make a difference. Mm. They don't say it. They don't say it. I don't yeah. understand. And that brings me to my other point. I don't <laughs> understand why government is just not stepping in and helping. It, it baffles me why um, we're still... I know. Crossroad begging government to help when there's so many benefits. I know. I I don't get it either. It does. I I think we're all just shaking our heads at that point because it it is of no detriment to them. And even if they did the few things that we're talking about, wouldn't even cost them anything. We can all think of loads of things they could do. But even if they just did the few things, it would make a big difference. I don't get it. I don't get it. Could you do a grassroots type thing where um, all of your um, organizations kind of get together and could you visit with somebody in your government to speak about this, you know, stronger in numbers or is that just not, that's not how it works? We've been there, got the t-shirt, I'm afraid. We've been to lots of meetings over the years, petitions, talking to people, emailing prime minister. Um, Sometimes we just get paid lip service and, you know, they'll arrange a meeting like we've got one on Tuesday, but um, I don't hold out a lot of hope with those. They're just a waste of time. Really. You go in there, they, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They look interested. Everyone has their say and then nothing ever comes of, you know, you might wait six months to get the minutes. So um, nothing really comes of, of these with these ministers. I think they're just sort of thinking, Oh, keep them quiet for a little while. You know, we've got just, just let them think that we're, paying attention and they'll go away but of course we don't go away and i think that's a global um issue too from what i understand i know here in the states you know people feel the same way there's a lot of lip service happening and not enough action agreed i mean from my from my personal point of view i think in a democracy like most stuff what barbados like the uk they, they get elected for five years ain't going to waste their time on things that is not popular in that country and in Barbados animal welfare is not popular with the majority of the people therefore that's my view that's why they don't get involved they don't want to lose votes they want to get in again next time let's not start angering the the population right right you know you you just want want you we want their votes so let's not start going around and finding them for animal cruelty because they won't vote for us instead of standing up for what's right Exactly. And, and that worrying really about your is, vote. Yes. And to me, that that's a really corrupt society. And, and unfortunately, most countries operate like that. It's not just Barbados. You know, exactly. all governments want quick, quick, quick project or a project with a quick result. No one wants to start investing in children and have to wait 20 years to see that come to fruition because they're not going to get get the kudos for it when it happens. <laughs> and that's always an issue. And and for this animal welfare here to change things is a very much a long-term project. 
Yeah, Levan has hit a very critical point when she talked about tourism. You see, the government needs to kind of like, uh, they need an incentive, they need a reason beyond right. just the fact that you should. Mm. It's, the, it's the morally ethical thing to care, you know? And the only way that to have that is by international attention. You know, Barbados is becoming a very prominent island. You know, our prime minister is very active in terms of promoting Barbados as a tourist destination. And we've got several programs, you know, coming up over the next few years from, from Guyana um, right through to West Africa, you know, we're building international relationships with different countries. We're looking at foreign investments as well. And, um, you know, the government's looking, which it should be, I agree with this, to build a thriving, prosperous society. Um, however, if some of these stakeholders, um, you know, think, well, you know something, we want to invest, but there's, there's certain aspects of your society that, we're, that are not pleasing to us. Maybe the government then, international pressure to a certain extent, may also make the government kind of rethink. I mean, I can't see that there's any other ways than other than getting, you know, international support to a certain extent to raise their voices, you know, to, to bring awareness. And that's with everything that happens. You would know, Nicole, you know, if you have human trafficking, the only way you know about it you know, it's, it's once it gets outside of, you know, that small circle. Right. And once people become aware of it, then you can, then people will start to kind of advocate for it. It's the same, you know, across the board. And I don't see why Barbados and the Caribbean region should be any different. And we could actually, Barbados could become the leaders within the Caribbean in terms of animal welfare because we've got the infrastructure. We've got high level of education. You know, people are very well educated on the island. We've got very thriving middle class. You know, you've got my corporate kind of industry. So we, we have the infrastructure. It's just getting the mindset to change and the government to be on board. We'll see what right. happens at this meeting on Tuesday. But Karen's right. Sometimes it can be a lot of lip service and you leave there feeling a little bit frustrated and a little bit disappointed. So we'll see what happens. So will all of you be attending this mm -hmm. meeting? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. wonderful. Okay. Yeah. And more of us as well. We've got, and the, um, got different organizations. Now, will you be speaking about the, will you be speaking in general about animal welfare or about the uh, Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act that there, I know that there's a petition out about that. What will you be, what's the intention um, well, the Minister of Agriculture, Minister Inderweer, um, he's the, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act falls under his portfolio. So he's the one that's actually um, convened the meeting and um, there's going to be several, it's going to be a big roundtable meeting of about 30 stakeholders. As yet, we're waiting to get the agenda. I mean, we ourselves have our own agenda. We know mm -hmm. that the most pressing thing is the Spain and the neutering, and we would like that to be government-led and the enforcement. We've got, we've all got strategic kind of ideas and outlines as to how it's not that we haven't got we can actually give the government ways in which they can do this effectively how they can roll out these programs but what, what else is going to be on the table we don't know until we get there because the ministers yet has not sent out the agenda okay well much luck to you on tuesday with that meeting thank you okay. yeah hey. it's been it's been a complete honor to meet all of you. Um, I am so honored to have spoken to you and I honor your passion and trying to create a good human society. 
um, there on Barbados. I, I know I appreciate everything that you're doing for the animals there. Thank you for your time today. Is there anything Thank else you that for I have us? Was there anything else, Gail, that you wanted to mention? Oh, I just wanted to say thank you to, to our special guests. You know, um, it was really, I think, I'm hoping it was enlightening for persons outside of Barbados just to understand some of the challenges that we're experiencing here. And um, we're just going to keep pressing on, you know, bit by bit. Change doesn't happen overnight. So in Rose, we will just keep on really um, collaborating. Um, it's, it's tough, but we can't, we keep doing it for the animals. That's, that's what's give us our tenacity and strength because we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for the animals. Exactly. I would just like to say as well that sometimes people do see the posts that we make and they hear what we say. And sometimes people are offended because, as I've said before, they think it's a generalization. And there are some people who do an excellent job of looking after their animals, etc. I'm one of them. You know, I'm sure Laverne, Karen and Gail are too. You know, there's mm-hmm. lots of people that do look after our animals well. So surely, please, you will all know that we are not talking to you or about it. It is the... It's, it's the other part of this, the people who aren't doing such a good job that we're referring to. And that's what needs that's to right. everybody yeah. that. Yeah, it's like talking about gender-based violence. You're not talking about all men, but you do yeah. have to generalise to kind of get the point across, exactly. don't you? So, you know, so, you know um, yes, that, that's my point. We are not saying this is everybody, but it is a large part of what, we sit, of, of what we're amongst. And just a quick example, there was a nice event um, a couple of weeks ago that Laverne and I were at a, a store here um, and they had like an animal day and everybody brought their animals along and all the animals were dressed in little pretty costumes and what have you and they had photos taken and it was fantastic. And if you came to that, you would think, well, there's no animal issues in Barbados. Look, everybody loves animals. Look at all these people here. This is wonderful. And it was wonderful, but that is a tiny percentage of what what is here. All the people that we're talking about weren't at that event. Right. <laughs> so that's, those people at that event are not the ones calling me up whose dog's about to die right. on the they can't get it to the vet, you know? Right. That's right. So that's, please, people don't take offense. You're, if, if you're not one of these people that is causing yeah. us these issues, just help us, join us, volunteer, be part of what we're all doing because, you know, we, we need more people to be good pet owners. Yeah whether you keep cats, dogs, tortoises, or whatever it is. You know, I did want to ask. I'm sorry, Laverne, go ahead. Yeah, in closing, I would just also like to point out that a lot of people live on this island, but they live in a bubble. Um, They actually don't know the state of many of, of the animals over here. When you speak to them about animal abuse and neglect, they're like, oh, but we don't see these animals around. What are you talking about? They're like completely clueless, Mm. Um, you know, because... They may not be in the right place at the right time to see a stray animal. Uh, They may not know what's going on because animal welfare is just not something that they're interested in. So they live in a bubble. And then there's some as well who seem to think that you cannot manage animal welfare and people welfare at the same time. So they seem to think that you have to choose. So when you're telling them these animals are suffering, some of the responses are, well, there are vagrants on the street that need food and that's where our attention needs to be focused on. And I say to them, but you don't have to choose. You can help a vagrant and you can help a stray dog at the same time. It's not a choice that you have to make. Animal welfare and people welfare are of equal value. 
And that is what we would like for people to recognize as well. You don't have to make a choice. You can support both causes. You can support the animals and you can support people as well. And often it goes hand in hand because many of the places that we go out to, it starts off with a call because they want us to take their dogs away or something like that. But, you know, it's the people that we're helping, either because they can't manage the dogs or either because they need ongoing support or all sorts of things. So they are not separate. It's a human issue. Like we started off saying, it brings us back to where we started. And it was Karen, Karen Millen? Uh, Well, not. I don't think there's much more to say other than to reiterate what everyone else is saying. I don't think there's any disagreement between any of us. We all know what it's like out there and we, you know, we're all hopeful that things can change. But, you know, as we've all said, we have to have some recognition from the government for that to happen. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Gary as well. He's behind the scenes. He's been um, doing all of our technical work for us. So thank you so much, Gary. And Nicole, can we do it again, please? <laughs> yes, of course. I just wanted to ask one last thing. If um, people are interested to learn about Ocean Acres and Canine Friends Barbados, how can people learn more about your your work? Uh, we um, have sites. So you go first. Oh, we have a what, Facebook page. Um, so that's just Canine Friends Barbados. It's a letter K and a number nine. Um, we've got email caninefriendsbarbados at gmail.com but really I think the Facebook is is more informative because there's posts on there and and information available you've got a spay and neuter clinic where's that located Karen oh sorry yeah the spay and neuter clinic is in it's based at Woodbourne Kennel in St Philip Um, so you know people most people I think know now that we're there that they can come we do sometimes get people just wander in and ask about it so that's good that we'll you know we can sort them out but uh, again I think we're not getting the people that we really need to get we're getting people that are, you know don't can't afford a, a normal veterinary clinic but but sometimes we want to get the people that that have got loads and loads of dogs that are out in communities, you know, and we don't always reach those people because they're more likely to be no and not not really want to get any help. But sometimes we, you know, we come across them and and they are, they they will accept. So again, it's not a generalisation. We can't say that they're all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have um, social media as well: Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Um, I think if you just search for Ocean Acres on all of those things, you'll find us. And we have a website. It is www.oceanacresanimalsanctuary.org. Okay. And you can, Sorry. people can WhatsApp as well. Um, the numbers on all of those, all of those places, you'll find the numbers. So, yeah. Okay. Laverne, your Facebook, your Facebook group one more time. So we are called Bajans Helping Animals. Very practical name, very easy to remember. And if anyone wants to reach out and help, we also have a Facebook page. Um, All of us can't um, rescue dogs, but I just want to say that we can all help in some way. We can give donations to the animal shelters, whether it's monetary or food or collars or leashes. Um, We can foster as well. We always need fosters for the animal shelter. We can reach out to canine friends. We can give a donation to help spay or neuter a community dog 
that we see, those are all ways that we can help as well. So Bajan's Helping Animals, and that's on Facebook as well. That's just what the page is called. So I think that's a wrap, ladies. Thank um, you so much, ladies. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. And I think thank that's you. next time, Nicole. Um, that was Animal Talk, our first, our first launch show. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.